Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast brought to you by our friends at MyBookie. I know you guys hear me say this each and every show but I'm going to say it again. My bookie is the best sports book out there, and they are offering you a promo code right now exclusive to you guys that listen to the Glory UGA podcast. All you have to do is sign up for a brand new account and use the promo code UGA when you do so, and you will get a 100% first-time deposit bonus on that initial deposit. So to me, guys, I don't know. It's a no-brainer. So bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Now, with that out of the way, I am your host, Tyler. And here with me once again for our weekly mailbag episode is my coach, Charlie. And Charlie, it's a beautiful week. It is officially, officially hate week. Can you feel it? Can you feel it coursing through your veins, every fiber of your being? I mean, I guess. What, what is there to guess about, Charlie? I just... Are you not alive? Florida is not who I hate the most. What? Okay, explain yourself. I hate Tennessee a lot more. Really? Yeah. And Carolina. Really? Okay, I guess in your lifetime, we have played Tennessee every year. In our lifetime. So like my lifetime, your lifetime, we've grown up, Georgia always played Tennessee. But historically speaking, Georgia-Tennessee is not like a long-standing rivalry like Georgia-Florida. So it doesn't have that that history, the tradition, the, the long-standing vitriol. Yeah, but I feel like we've always done pretty from my memory well there was there was like that 15 year period where we uh could not beat florida right but i don't remember that that was before your okay well i mean it was how old are you i'm 36 okay well i mean okay but like i can only you remember, remember that at all okay i can only remember so much like, i guess you were a young lass yeah. when spurrier was roaming we've been the sidelines. doing pretty well against florida recently yes. so it's kind of like thank you kirby okay, love you there are there are other Fish we need to fry first. We've also been doing really well against all of our rivals, Tennessee included. Uh-huh. Auburn. We own Auburn. We own Tennessee. We've owned Florida recently. We've always owned South Carolina. Really, more hatred for Tennessee. Why is... I know your family is from Tennessee. Does it come from that? Like, you have family members that actually still live in the state? No. Has nothing to do with that? No. Really? Is, yeah. It's, is it their orange? Like, their version of orange? I mean, I prefer Tennessee's orange to Florida's orange. No. Because Florida's That is jack-o'-lantern orange, orange, Charlie. But it's orange and blue. Yeah, but, I mean, I hate orange. I mean, as a, a principal play here, I hate the color orange. I mean, Tennessee, Florida, Auburn, Clemson, I hate orange. I would, I do not own one single article of clothing that has even a trace of orange on it. That's, that is a principal play. A it's brighter. Deal. I like brighter colors than jack-o'-lantern orange. Florida just isn't a big deal to me. Weird. Yeah. That's weird. So if I you had to rank like your your Georgia hate list, Tennessee be one. Who's next? Well, Bama would be number one. You hate Bama more than any other team. See, well, for I don't. The past few years, they've been they've been the mountain we've had to climb. Right. But I don't have the same level of hatred for them as I do because we don't play them often enough for me to have that level of hatred. I mean, for them. okay, so Tennessee one, Alabama two. Really. I mean, think of the competition. Or, again, my memory only goes back so far. Okay. So I have to. Well, go like, off of like life. you're talking like your teenage years is when you. Like, I cannot remember that. Wow. I can remember back to like 2017. What? You don't remember the Aaron Murray 2012 Chris Conley? I remember that moment. I don't remember that season. 
Well, you were in the stadium. I know. I remember that moment. I don't remember that season. That's fascinating to me. That you okay? So Bama. Okay, top three. So Tennessee, <clears throat> Bama, and I mean, I hate South Carolina. That's a that's an underrated them. answer. That is, that is an underrated them. answer. I, I can't stand them because here's why I can't stand South Carolina because in my opinion, in my humble opinion, they are not even close to being on our, on our level. You know, like they're like the scum on the bottom of our shoe, and like they think their fans think they are on our level or they should be on our level. And it's like no, no, you shouldn't. Like know who you are. Like have a little bit of self awareness, and they just act a freaking fool down there far too often for me. Yeah, I, I, I have a strong hatred for South Carolina, too. Now, I, got, I got to go Florida 1 for me. Um, Tet number 2. And I know that you're going to say, well, we just destroyed them. Yes, Charlie. But there have been those brief interludes in time where we have lost to them. And when that happens for a full calendar year, I want to kill myself. I'm not wasting my time on that. I, do, I will say my hatred for Tech has waned over the years because now it's just like you're beating up on somebody who can't even defend themselves. You know, it's like it's, it's like illegal in 48 states, what we do at Georgia Tech every single year. So I get that, but I still have I have a hatred for all things Georgia Tech. I do. And that's ingrained in me from my childhood. I do remember my childhood, Charlie. I remember we actually lost Georgia Tech. I don't want to say routinely, but you know, it wasn't uncommon back in the day. And that should never, ever, ever, ever happen at University of Georgia. I mean that. We should never, ever lose them in football. In anything, really, but especially football. And uh, number three, hate list. Hate list. I, I'm with you on the Tennessee. I, I do hate Tennessee. I bet they're not number one for me. I with them at number three. I would have Caroline number four and like Auburn number five. I know a lot if you're from West Georgia, a lot of people have this hate for Auburn. That I mean, I don't like Auburn at all. I mean I I, I hate all these teams. If you're not Georgia, I hate you. Um, but I don't have as much hatred for Auburn. Anyway, I know that's not what people came in here to tune in for. Sorry, we got a little bit off track there. But um you don't feel the hate coursing through your veins as much as I do. I hate Florida. Have you done the walk of shame back from the stadium in Jacksonville to like hotels to life? Even though there's not much life in downtown Jacksonville, you go through all the tailgating, all the Florida fans doing God knows what, screaming God knows what. Yeah, just ignore them. Yeah, I mean you try, and then I get like filled with this like rage, and I just want to like. Right, but I'm a woman, so. You don't have testosterone. Got it. No, I know that I can easily be. Beaten up, knocked down. Fair, fair. I, I, well, I mean, that's probably true of me, I know too. that I can be overpowered very quickly, so you you know. I know. I'm not going to look Didn't you do kickboxing bad. for a little while? Well, yes, but I'm still not as strong as a man. Well, you know how to fight. A lot of men don't know how to fight. They think they know how to fight, but they don't know how I to fight. I just know how to run. I mean, I that's run. good, though, Charlie. That That is, that is actually you no know, fight or flight, you know? Mm-hmm. Either what, whatever, whatever you got to do. Um, all right, so, yeah, it's hate week. I'm all about this. I'm, I'm glad it's hate week because, number one, I, I do hate Florida, and I love hating them. And this is the week every year where the hate just flows more profoundly than any other time of the year. And the number two, specifically to this year, we can now, at least for this one week, stop listening to everyone out there in the national media and all the fans out there on social media and message boards, wherever you look. Stop talking about how Tennessee's just going to crush us next week. Uh, we got a full week of that this past week. But now we get a momentary pause, which is nice before that picks up again next week. So I'm, I'm going to enjoy that. And with no game last week, Charlie, we do have some questions to get to. And our questions today with no game have a decidedly Florida flavor to them, which is a little bit different. Usually our questions, the more, most of the questions we get look back to the, the game that we just played as opposed to looking forward to, to the coming week's game. Not the case this week. We had no game, so we have a lot of questions specifically about the Florida Gators in this matchup in the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. So without any further ado, Charlie, I know we got a little, little off track here. What you got for me? All right. Well, I know you touched on this briefly in your preview of the stretch run last week. I did. But I think it's an important question, so rolling with it as the question of the week. Bryce says, it seems like a lot of people in the fan base are already focused on the Tennessee game next week, which makes him nervous about the Florida game this week. So on a scale of 1 to 10, what is the upset alert threat for the dogs this weekend? Yeah, I did touch on this, Bryce. I appreciate the question, man. This is a good question. I, I told you guys last week, if you listened to that episode where I was kind of previewing the, the rest of our way, the rest of our schedule down the stretch here in the SEC, I do think that this game kind of fits the mold of a trap game. I think it's very easy to look at the mindset, the potential mindset of both teams coming into this game and see, yeah, how it fits the mold of like a classic trap game setting. So with that, I'm going to go a five here. 
I'm going to five because I do think it has all the hallmarks of what you would say would be a traditional like classic trap game setting. But I also don't think Florida is that good. I don't think they have enough playmakers. If we play like remotely close to our capabilities, I don't think they have enough playmakers to pull off the upset unless like we really, really, really helped them out the way that Alabama really, really, really helped out Tennessee in the first half of that game a couple of weeks ago. And that's possible. It is possible. But that would take quite a bit of doing a lot of that. That, that would almost like a, like a perfect storm type scenario. But I mean, let's let's look at the setup here. You know, one team in Florida who comes in this game four and three. I mean, their SEC title hopes dash, SEC East hopes dash. They're not going to win either one of those. National Championship hopes obviously dashed. Right now, they're playing just for kind of bowl seating, trying to get to maybe a New Year's Day bowl, possibly playing for pride at this point. And that four and three Florida team is facing their their number one rival, who happens to also be the number one team in the nation. And oh yeah, still the defending national champion in a in a traditional game, you know, in Jacksonville, that no one has really given them a chance to win. They are a twenty two point underdog right now. And oh yeah, that number one team that you're facing has a potential top three matchup against another rival staring in the face next week if both teams take care of business in in the, this week's games. So with if you look at that setup, yeah, this this is a classic trap game setup, but setups don't mean that the upset's going to happen and team necessarily should be on upset alert. But with Florida, I don't think they're a tremendously talented team, but I do think they have enough talent to pull the upset again if we help them out. You know, Missouri, for example, we helped out Missouri a lot in the first half of that game and did not play anywhere close to our standard, but they just didn't have the horses when it came down to it. They did not have the horses to pull that upset, even at home, in that setting, at night, against the number one team, as poorly as we played for two and a half quarters of that game, they just didn't have the horses. I think Florida does have enough of those horses if we aren't focused and if we help them out and if we do not play to our standard. If we fall, let's just say like, you know, to sum it up, if we fall victim to the letdown spot here. So, you know, Anthony Richardson is very, very inconsistent. I know we have a couple questions about him. He is highly inconsistent, but he does have some playmaking ability. And if we give him opportunities to make some of those plays, he could potentially hurt them. They, they did beat this, you know, they beat a, a pretty good Utah team at home. I know Utah is, I don't think they're really a playoff caliber team. I don't think they're going to win the Pac-12. They did just beat USC a couple weeks ago at home. Still a good Utah team. So they've beaten, you know, a top 10-ish caliber team. So they have that. And I know there's a big gap between Georgia and Utah. I understand that. But Florida has that upset potential in them, but we have to help them a lot because there is a talent gap there between these two teams that's still pretty significant. But um, it, they're close enough to where, like I said, if, if we play poor like we did against Missouri and help them out, they can maybe take advantage of that more than a team like Missouri was able to a couple weeks ago. So I, I would put it at a five here. I'm not freaking out about it, but it's certainly something that we need to be aware of if um, we, if our guys are looking ahead next week to Tennessee and not focus on this game, which I don't think we're going to... I don't think our coaches are going to allow that to happen, which I think bleeds into our next question. So I'm going to hold off on going any further there. Yeah, so while Bryce is nervous about the team's state of mind heading into the cocktail party, Eric sees it entirely differently. He asks for you to go through Kirby's history with Florida as a way to show the fan base that there's no way UGA is looking past this game. Yeah, it's a great question, Eric, and it's a great point. So that, and that's one of the reasons why I'm not freaking out about the potential upset alert spot here because... I know for a fact that Kirby Smart is not looking past this game. I mean, he doesn't look past any game, especially not this game. And you're right, Eric. There's a couple reasons why, Charlie. I know that you seem to have blocked all of that from your memory, all the the 90s and the Spurrier era and how they just... Yep, have no clue. Yeah, okay. So, you don't even like... You don't have like awareness of the fact that they kind of were like dominating the series for a little while. Yes, but I can't like visualize... Specific games. Yeah, no. Okay. You You don't visualize Spurrier in the 90s polo? No. Really? No. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Throwing his visor, all that fun stuff. All right. Well, you know, Kirby Charlie was a player here at in Athens, right? You know this. Yes. You know this. You're aware of that, yes. right? Okay. Make sure. I mean, you say you blocked out all memories of Georgia Not pre, on like another planet. Oh, I'm just making sure. Well, when he played here, Charlie, that was in the middle of the Spurrier era where we had a really tough time beating Florida. So he has that, you know, that that scar tissue built up where like he just had, I mean, the teams he was on here at Athens had a tough time beating Florida, had a tough time being Spurrier. And that, that's just how it is. I hate saying that, but it's reality. That's that's history. And yeah, you're right, Charlie. Everyone, it is like, you're not dumb. Everyone knows that Kirby is a former player, but not only is he a former player, he is a former player, like I said, who lost a lot of games to Florida, 
during his career. He's also a Georgia boy born and raised, and he's a former player that has an, he has internalized this deep and abiding love for his alma mater. And now as a coach, he understands what this rivalry means, not just to himself. I think he sees it from a different perspective now. I think he sees what it means to the state of Georgia and the entire Bulldog Nation. I mean, bottom line here, guys, Kirby is a damn good dog, a DGD to the core. That's how this guy is cut. And as a damn good dog, he has a profound hostility towards all things Florida Gators the way that I do. I guess unlike you, Charlie, but he is one of those guys like me that hates all things Florida. I mean, you saw that last year with his celebration, you know, with his reaction. You saw that after the game, right, with his family. Yeah. Right? So, like, he he puts an emphasis on this game. He And it's not just him. Like, he knows what it means to him. But he also knows what it means to the fan base, to the boosters, to the, everyone in this state. So, I know that he will emphasize this game. And Kirby, I will, you know, I'll give him a, he's not perfect. I think he does a really good job for the most part of having our guys in the right mindset. Now, no team is perfect. We have, you know, young guys and sometimes, you know, you look past teams, you know, we didn't, we didn't play to our standard against Kent State. I don't think we played to our standard against Sanford and, and certainly not Missouri, at least for two and a half quarters there in that game. But Kirby does a really good job of, of keeping us in the mindset of where we're not going to overlook anybody. And I think he, obviously I know he preaches the standard, the standard, the standard. I think our guys have, they've bought into that. They've internalized that. And so I, I know that Tennessee is staring us in the face next week. I understand that. And I know that it's hard for young guys to not listen to the noise and the rat poison out there. You, you know, they do. They're on social media. Of course they see, and they hear all of this. They see all the stuff on TV. They see all the talking heads, all that stuff. Of course they do. But Again, I think we have good leadership, whether it's coaches, whether it's players, and I think our guys have bought into that, and I've just seen too many situations where we've gone into these games in the right mindset to think that we're not going to be prepared, be in the right headspace coming to this game. I think our guys want this game. They understand the importance of this game. Kirby preaches that, and uh, until I see otherwise, I'm going to put my faith in that. All right. Well, storylines are fun and all, but specific matchups are what games usually come down to. So with that in mind, Stacey wants to know, is there a matchup in this game that concerns you? What I guess what would be your greatest concern? You know, I thought about this question, Charlie, when I saw it. I don't know if there's a matchup that I'm truly like concerned about. But I will say if I had to pick one, what, what am I most concerned about? I guess I would say containing an athlete of Anthony Richardson's caliber. That's always some level of concern there. Now, we do a really good job, I think, of containing quarterbacks in the pocket, like we, we have we played some guys. I mean, most of the teams we play this year have guys that that can hurt you with their legs. Bo Nix is a guy that that can hurt you with his legs. We hold him under forty yards rushing. I like to hold him under that. Um, let's see. Obviously Auburn with Robbie Ashford. He's a guy that has done a lot of things. Honestly, all he can do really is hurt you with his legs. And he he broke like one and a half runs, but nothing really spectacular. I think it was like fifty two yards rushing when it was all said and done. But against these kind of guys, even beyond this year, going back to years past, we've always had really good plans on how to contain these guys and keep them from just killing us with their legs. Again, not to say that they don't you know, make, make a play here or there, but we have not allowed them to take over games with their legs. And that's what Anthony Richardson has to do. For Florida to win this game, he has to take over this game with his legs. He has to have one of those like 100-yard rushing games. He's got 200-yard rushing games on the year, and he's got to have one of those. He's got, he, had, he had one against LSU. Before their bye week, and he broke it. Now, one of those was an 81-yard run, so it wasn't like consistent, just gashing, gashing, gashing. It was one big play, which is still a big play. And it was a, I mean, it was a fantastic run, that play. And then against Utah to open the season. So we cannot allow him to have one of those kind of games. And that is a concern because he is a fantastic athlete. He's highly inconsistent in Iraq as a passer. But as an athlete, he is a fantastic specimen. There's zero doubt about that. And you have to, you have to respect that, and you have to game plan for that and be prepared to contain him in the pocket and force him to beat you from inside the pocket. So, I mean, if there's anything that concerns me, I mean, I'm always concerned. That's just how I operate as a Georgia fan. You guys who listen for a long time, you understand that. You know how I operate. You know how I'm wired. But, um, yeah, if there's anything, one specific thing in this game, it's going to be Anthony Richardson and what he can do outside the pocket with his legs. you got to contain him. Okay, well, if you've paid attention to Florida this year, you know that Anthony Richardson is the definition of inconsistent, which I believe you said a few minutes yes, ago. Yes, yes. Obviously, forcing him into mistakes will be a key in this game. So David wants to know, how does the defense create errors from Anthony Richardson? Yeah, it, kind of building off of what I just said there to Stacy's question. I appreciate it, David. Thanks for the question, man. I think you have to keep Anthony Richardson in the pocket. That's where he's uncomfortable. He will not beat you 
from that spot. He will not beat you from the pocket. He might make a throw or a play here or there from the pocket, but he's not going to do it consistently enough to beat you. You know, against LSU in that game, he, their first drive of the game, one of the first plays of the game, he threw a long thing. It was like a 51, 52-yard touchdown pass to Justin Shorter, and he put that ball on the freaking money. There's a play-action pass, and he dropped a dime. He's capable of doing it, but then after from that point on, it's like, can Anthony Richardson hit anyone can he come like within 10 yards of anyone like he he's just so inconsistent not just from game to game with like drive to drive play to play that inconsistency kind of defines him and really what it is with Anthony Richardson I think it's a confidence thing it gets in his head when things go well early he's got some confidence and he builds on that and I thought when he hit that touchdown pass to uh, Justin Shore against LSU he's like oh man like this might be the good version of Anthony Richardson this might be good Richardson but after that, they force him in a couple mistakes. You can see, you can see it in his face. It gets into his head. He loses confidence, and then he just starts like going like crazy erratic with the football and making poor decisions, missing guys that are open. Uh, it just gets tough for him. So I just don't think he can beat us consistently from the pocket. That's what it comes down to. You got you to keep him in the pocket. That's how you create errors. You got to force him to actually go through progressions because he does not do that well. He does not see the field well. From a, from a progression standpoint, he doesn't understand coverages consistently well. He doesn't see it like he needs to on a consistent basis. And that's when he starts to force the football. So if we can do that, keep him in the pocket and force him to actually beat us with the arm, then I think we are in good shape. Now, if he gets the ground game going, he can work play action off that and get him rolling out of the pocket. That's when things get a little more dangerous. But if we can force him to beat us from the pocket, then uh, that's where he'll start to make him some mistakes. All right, let's stick with Anthony Richardson for one more question. Charles asks, what is your prediction for Anthony Richards' rushing yards and interceptions thrown on Saturday? All right, well, let's look at his numbers so far to this point. So he's got, like I mentioned earlier, two 100-yard rushing games, barely over 100, but two 100-yard rushing games against Utah and LSU. He's also got two games under 25 yards rushing, one game with four yards rushing, and in three games with 45 to 65 yards rushing. So the sweet spot, the the average there seems to be that middle ground, 45 to 65 yards. So I'm going to go under 50 yards rushing, which would be about average. I don't, I'm don't. i under no illusion that we're going to completely stifle Anthony Richards. Now, Kentucky, I think Kentucky was the team that held to four yards rushing, maybe eight yards, something like that. Um, not that it was, it was four yards. It was four yards. Um, and I, I don't. I don't want to sit here and say like, like we're going to just completely take away his ability to do anything with his legs. So Florida does a really good job of scheming things up for him to actually hurt you with his legs. Now, we have a fantastic run defense. But what concerns me more than anything is also like what he does in the scramble drill, like when he just tries to escape the pocket. Now, we've done a really good job. Of that. That's that's actually where we've been really, really good, whether it's Bo Nix, whether it's Robbie Ashford. I mean, even you know, National Championship game, to maybe a little bit of a lesser degree, but even Bryce Young in that game, especially in the second half, we do a good job. We've done we've done a much better job over the past couple of years of keeping those kind of guys in the pocket, not, not allowing them to hurt us as much on the scrimmage drill. Now, Bryce Young in the SEC Championship game, that was a different story. Definitely hurt us there. But if you go back to like 2018, when uh, Jalen Hurts came in in that game, in the SEC title game, and how he was able to break contain and hurt us outside the pocket, we've done a much better job of that. We've kind of done some things defensively from a schematic standpoint to adjust to that, but they still do a good job um, with design QB run stuff. So I'm going to go um, somewhere probably like 40 to 50 yards, somewhere about that. I think that's about average for him. Now interceptions, um, let's go two picks. You know, this year guys, I mean, his numbers are not good. Throwing the ball, six touchdowns, seven picks through two against Kentucky, through two against South Florida earlier in the year. I'm going to go two interceptions. I think if we can keep in the pocket, especially if we get up in this game, I think a big part of this is going to be how does this game play out early on? Do we get out to an early lead? You no, know, last year we did not get out to that early lead. We kind of had that onslaught right before halftime with the kind of cap cap there by the Nicobe Dean pick six. But if we can get out to an early start and take them out of what they want to do offensively, which is clearly the run game, that's what they want to do, and he has to kind of start throwing the ball more than that they would ideally like him to, that's when he's going to start forcing. I think we might get two interceptions if we can do that. So that's uh, that's what I, you know, that's my hopeful thinking, Charles. That's my wishful thinking that it's going to play out that way. But I'm going to go two picks and under 50 yards rushing for Richardson. And now before we move on, is it cool? You want to do a break? Sure. All right. So guys, I told you at the outset of the show, you hear me say it all the time, my bookie. We are now a little bit over the halfway point, but there's still plenty of football left to be played, which means there's plenty of football left to be bet on, which means there's plenty of football for you to make money on. You guys know your college football, and we, Charlie and I, we give you some picks 
to uh, to bet on every single week, give you guys winners each and every week. Now is the time to take advantage of this promotional deal by MyBookie if you've not already done so. It's simple, guys. All you got to do is go to MyBookie.ag, use the promo code UGA, and they will hook you up with a 100% deposit bonus on that initial deposit. Again, MyBookie.ag, promo code UGA, and you guys will get this exclusive promo deal, 100% deposit bonus. So don't wait anymore. Go ahead, get it done. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, next up, Paul wants to know Is our best defense against the University of Florida run game at a fast start by our offense? Yeah, that's a. I like the way you're putting that, Paul. I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think a fast start to our offense could lead to a snowball effect. It's kind of what I was mentioning in that last question. If we do get off to a fast start and we put up some early points and we get out to a multi score lead early in this game, I do think, well, we'll see how patient Florida is with their game plan, how long they want to stick with it, and when do they start to panic. But if we get out to that early lead and things kind of snowball for them, do they kind of abandon their their run game and what they want to do ideally and start throwing the ball around the, around the field a little bit more? And if they do that, then yeah, I mean, I, I think that takes them out of their run game number one, and I think that puts Anthony Richardson in a spot where he is not going to be very successful because it's just not what he's built to do. He has not shown the ability to do that on a consistent basis. So, yeah, I mean, I do think that could, that could lead it to a snowball effect. We could disabuse them of any notion, any and all notions of an of a possible upset. Um, and that's obviously preferable to start fast. I don't think it's a necessity necessarily against Florida because I do think we are the better team. You know, last year, again, we did not get out to that fast start last year, but we were able to, to finish really strong in the first half. And, I, you know, Clemson, you know, Dabo Swing always talked about this, the middle eight, the last four minutes of the first half, the first four minutes of the second half. We dominated the middle eight last year against Florida. But, um, I, you know, obviously, if we can get out to that fast start, that completely takes them out of their run game. And I think that we could potentially run away with this game if that is indeed the case, which, man, that would be beautiful, Paul. I'm with you on that. Okay. The next two questions are scheme-related, which I know you enjoy. I do enjoy, Charlie. Trey asks, how much of a role will power run football and the ability to control games play in the stretch run? And since Alabama is no longer able to do this, but he believes we are capable, what are your thoughts? Yeah, Trey, this is a great question, man. I appreciate it, buddy. Always do. And um, this is something that that I've been talking about for a couple weeks, really going back to the Auburn game. I think this is what you've seen us been trying to do more of the past two games coming out of that Missouri game where it was just a bad look trying to run the football for the vast majority part, vast majority of that game. I think you've seen this kind of going back to our roots after that game. And maybe I'm just making it up. Maybe that's me just making things up. But I really, like what I've seen against Auburn and Vanderbilt, now certainly two opponents that could not really do anything against us. I get that. But what I've seen is us going back and making a more of a concerted effort to run the football as kind of the base of this offense and working play action off of that, working our screen game off of that, as opposed to like, you know, the first couple games of the years, like our screen game was almost like the base of our offense and everything else was like a constraint off of that. But now it looks like we're going back to the core of our offense, 
being running the football, working play action off that, which I believe Stetson is, that's that's where he excels as a passer. And obviously working in the screen game, keep them off balance, make that as an extension of your run game, the RPO game as well. We've done more of that this year. I still wish we would do a little bit more of the RPO game, go more all in on that. But we've certainly done more of it this year than we have in the past. But yeah, I mean, I, Trey, I think you're right. I think that we are going more back to that old school downhill running attack. And whether it's gap scheme, zone scheme, we're, we're mixing it up nice and, uh, over the past couple weeks. I know that we made a lot of the gap scheme stuff after Missouri, but in the two games since that point, we have done a lot of gap scheme stuff. We've also done a lot of zone stuff. So we've done a nice job mixing up. I think we've kind of diversified our run game a little bit. So yeah, I do think that we're working on our ability to control games on the ground. And I think, especially against a team like Tennessee, I mean, we'll get to that next week. I don't want to spend too much time on Tennessee because, like, like I said, this is this is hate week, baby. I'm all about hating Florida this week. But against a team like Tennessee looking for just a week here, I think one of the better ways, the, the probably the best way to defend them is keep their offense off the field. You do not want to get in a shootout with them, just like Alabama did. You do not want to get in a shootout with Tennessee. You want to make them play your game and keep their offense off the field, keep their offense out of rhythm, and, and all those kind of things. So I, I do think it's going to play a factor down the stretch, and uh, it could be obviously as early as this week against Florida. Okay. The bye week obviously gives players time to get healthy and recharge their batteries for the stretch run, but it also gives the coaching staff a chance to get back in the lab and make some schematic adjustments. So along those lines, Darren asks, do you think we see some schematic changes on both sides of the ball after the bye week? You know, that's always um, a popular thought, and I appreciate the, the question, Darren. I really do, man. I do not think that you're going to see whole-scale schematic change. And I don't think you mean that, Darren. I mean, I, I know that's not what you're saying here, but just to put this out there, I, I, we're not going to see like a completely different Georgia offense or completely Georgia different Georgia defense. We're not going to see that. It's, it's just tough. It's just tough to admit like, those type of wide-ranging changes in one week. Bye weeks are more a time for like tweaks, you know, and cleaning up some stuff. Like maybe you can see more 13 personnel. We've, we've seen a, little, a few signs of that with Oscar Dub working more and more into the lineup a little bit here and there. New formations. Really, what I, what I, I see more than anything coming off bye weeks is new constraints off of your base plays. And, and what I mean by constraints, if you guys haven't listened to our scheme theme stuff, those are like what you, you like counters basically, like counters to your base plays. So play actions, a constraint play, right? Um, RPOs are constraint plays. Screens are constraint plays. Like, you know, if you throw the screen pass over and over and over and over again, and then on the next play, you have your, your wide receivers act like off the snap, they're going to block a block a DB, and then they just take off vertically down the field, and you throw a vertical shot to them. Those are constraint plays, right? Those are all things that are built off of the, the base plays in your offense, the core of your offense, and they're designed to, number one, keep the defense honest and help out your base plays. The defense have to like contend with those constraint plays and also designed to help you hit big plays. So I think you'll see some constraint plays from both us and Florida. You'll see some new plays like that, some new formations here and there. Um, but I, I just don't think you're going to see wholesale changes because you just there's just not enough time for that. You're, you're still game playing. You have a little bit more time to get back in the lab. You're right, Charlie. And and, and look at things a little bit and do some self-scouting and those kind of things, but it's still not a ton of time. You're still game planning. You're still getting ready. You still have practice, all those kind of things. And then I know Kirby wanted everyone to be out of the building for like 48 hours and like, hey, you're not really doing anything there. You, if you're going to recharge your batteries, you're away from football. So you're not going to see this wholesale change, but I do think you're going to see some, some tweaks and maybe some new constraints that we haven't shown before. All right. It's funny that we get this question today because you and I were just talking about this recently. We were. Um, Croc 47 poses yes, the question, is Georgia's win over Oregon more impressive than Tennessee's win over Bama? What do you think, Charlie? I, I, know, think, we I know what you think as we talk about this. What, what, I tell think, the audience. I think yes, because of the amount of points both teams gave up. Mm -hmm. I mean, what was the score? Like 52, 49. 49. Mm -hmm. And then it was... 49-3. Margin, of, margin of victory is substantial. Uh, especially, especially if you look at what Oregon has been able to do in some of their more recent games, that yeah. Bo Nix is actually a decent Bo Nix is. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go off the Bo Nix hatred. Bo Nix is better than decent this year, Charlie. In that mm, offense, right. Bo Nix is good. He's a weapon in that offense. He's been very good for them. I mean, is it a stretch to say Oregon can win the Pac-12? No. I think Oregon might be the Pac-12 favorite right and good now. good for Dan Lanning. I think they're going to be in the Pac-12 championship. They do not play USC in the regular season. USC's already lost to Utah. Uh, Oregon is still undefeated in the Pac-12. Utah has one loss. They lost to UCLA. Utah, Oregon just beat UCLA. Um, Oregon does have Utah coming to Eugene in a couple of weeks. Obviously, that'll be a huge game. I think Oregon's better. I think Oregon is better than Utah. And they get them at home. So I think, at the very least, 
Oregon is going to play in the Pac-12 championship game, and I think there's a very good chance they could win the Pac-12. And Charlie, on top of that, I think there's a good chance they could run the table the rest of the way. I mean, if they beat, I mean, Washington could be tricky-ish, but they get them at home, and you get Utah home, and then you wrap the season up in the rivalry game on the road in Corvallis against Oregon State, but Oregon could easily win all of those games. And in the regular season, 11-1, if they win the big, if they win the Pac-12, they're 12-1. I mean, Charlie, a 12 and 1 conference champion. I know it's the Pac 12. You might not respect the Pac 12, whatever, but a 12 1 conference champion that we beat 49 to 3? Yeah, I think that's more impressive than Tennessee beating Bama at home with that incredibly hostile environment by a margin of three points when Bama played about as poorly as they possibly could in the first half. You put that up against our 49 3 dismantling. And yeah, I know it was in Georgia, but still a technically a neutral site against a team that, guys, I mean, Oregon has beat the hell out of everyone else they have played with the exception of a road win out at Washington State. They scored at least 41 points in every game since week one. They've put up at least 439 yards in every game since week one. In five of the six games since we played them, they've gone over 515 yards of offense. In two of those games, they've gone over 600 yards of offense. They are averaging 7.5 yards per play in the other six games they've played this year compared to 4.6 in week one against us. Oregon is a good football team. Now, are they really a national title contender? No, I don't think they're national title good, but they can win the Pac-12, and I think that's an awesome win. If you look at like, resumes, I think you can certainly make the argument, and I would make the argument, that the Oregon win at the end of this season could potentially look better than Tennessee's win over Bama for all those reasons I just laid out there. We'll see how it plays out, but I think you at least entertain the question. And Charlie, I know we have a few more questions to get to, but before we move on, I do just want to remind everyone about Alumni Hall. All the cold weather gear, the fall gear, is hitting stores right now, guys. You've got hoodies, you've got Q-zips, you've got long-sleeve shirts, anything that you could want to stay warm here as the weather is starting to change in the southeast, and I guess wherever you are in the country. Alumni Hall has got you guys covered. They've got the best selection, the best options, the best brands, all the stuff you want, they've got. You can shop in-store today inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center here in the Classic City or online at alumnihall.com. And when you do shop with Alumni Hall, not only do you get awesome Georgia gear that you don't really find anywhere else, but their Hall Pass Rewards program also gives you $10 towards future purchases for every $150 that you spend. I've racked up a ton of points over the years, guys. I know a lot of you have too. So if you aren't a member today, it's simple. Just give me your email address. You can do it online. You can do it in store. And every time you make a purchase, they'll ask for your email address and they will hook you guys up. So don't wait, guys. Go ahead and pick up your fall gear while it lasts. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Okay, well, for years now, the narrative has been that the SEC West was the most dominant division while the East was just along for the ride. But with Tennessee's success this year, Carter wants to know if this is the year that the East is as good as the West. Yeah, what do you think, Charlie? The East is as good as the West. I think we're better than the West right now. You think the East is better than the West? I mean, look at Texas A&M. They just got beat by South Carolina. Yeah. I would say who's who's the second best team in in the West? That's the question this year. I think it might be LSU. I think it is LSU. Yeah. I think it is LSU right now. I mean, they just beat Ole Miss. Ole Miss was that team, right? Yeah. And uh, granted, that was at home, but I mean, oh, that, w- that wasn't really close in that game. Like, LSU just beat Ole Miss pretty badly. Then uh, Lane's really helped going some, for some fourth downs like he likes to do. You know, he cost himself the Bama game last year doing that. I don't I, I want to say that's the only reason they lost, but it certainly did not help. He did the game here against LSU. 
But I, I would say the top of the SEC East, right, Charlie, is better than the top of the SEC West. Yes. Clearly. Georgia, Tennessee versus Bama and whoever, give me Georgia, Tennessee, right? Like we saw, if, if, it, if it is LSU, we saw what Tennessee did to LSU at LSU, Agreed. right? So I would say, yes, the top of the East is better. I mean, I think, yeah, I think you look at the West as Bama and it's like a pretty big drop off and it's like a mashup of teams there. They're all good, but it's a mashup of teams. But I do think the West is deeper with good teams. Is that fair, Charlie? Yeah. Like, there's no Vandy. I guess, like, Auburn is their Vandy, but Auburn is better than Vandy. Yeah. Auburn is better than Vandy. Um, who's the... We have Missouri two Vandy. Because we have Vandy and Missouri. Missouri is, like, one step above Vandy. Auburn did beat Missouri. Wow. So their worst team in the West beat... is. I mean, they would be all Vanderbilt, in my opinion. They did beat Missouri. Now, it was a close game, and they did beat Missouri. Now, Missouri gave them that game, but they did beat Missouri. And then Kentucky, you know, I think Kentucky, uh, South Carolina to a degree. I mean, they beat A&M. Kentucky, South Carolina, and who am I leaving out here? Kentucky, South Carolina, Florida. There we go. Kentucky, South Carolina, Florida. I think they're pretty comparable to the middle of the, of the West. When you look at teams like Arkansas and Mississippi State, like those kind of teams, I think they're pretty comparable, but... You know, I, I do think that the West might be a little bit deeper with good teams, but yeah, I think the East, top, the top of the East, yeah, this year is definitely better. We'll see if that lasts, but this year is definitely better. On Monday, the SEC announced that the Georgia-Tennessee football game next weekend will be broadcast as the 3:30 CBS game of the week. Duh, Knew I mean that was obvious. coming. Predictably. It didn't sit well with those in the fan base like Corey that have been hoping and praying for a night game inside Sanford Stadium this season. Guess what? We're not going to get it, guys. I mean, the, the Tech? I mean, I don't know. Tech's been at noon for a long time. I mean, we we'll might see. might as well play that game at 9 a.m. Do we Just have get to it play over it? With. I mean, I, I, know, I like right? to beat the hell out of them, yeah. But. Uh, Corey asks, why isn't the Georgia-Tennessee game a night game? Are we just not going to have any home night games this year? I'm sorry, Corey. I'll let Tyler explain. Oh, you can answer no, the question. No, we're not. It's all about TV contracts yeah. and who gets to pick first and what the best games are to get the best ratings. Yeah, it's sorry, all about buddy. the money. I know, I know a lot of people love the night games. I get it. Um, I don't think it's happened this year because this, I mean, uh, unless Tech is, obviously, it's not. we're not going to have any night games. But, all right. I say this with all due respect. Um, but it was, I mean, we, we knew this game was going to be a 3.30 game, Charlie. Like, that was, you know, I mean, pretty obvious. Too bad there weren't odds on um, that. And, and the reason I know that, guys, I mean, I think a lot of you know this, but just in case you don't, there are TV contracts, and who gets what game and who gets to select the games that they want is based on these TV contracts, right? And NCBS's contract with the ACC, which is doesn't last for too many more years, I think it's, what, two more years on the deal? They get the first pick of the SEC games every single week. They get the first pick, and that first pick will always be on at three thirty, except with the with the exception of one week where they have a three thirty and primetime eight p.m. doubleheader, which they already used on A and M Alabama. Right? They have another doubleheader where they get a twelve a twelve o'clock and a three thirty game, which is going to be the, the week that we play Mississippi State. So like it's like November twelfth, whatever that is. And they announced that before the year. But I mean, if you look ahead at the schedule, the SEC slate this. It, Next weekend when we play Tennessee, it was very obvious that Georgia Tennessee was the best game. I mean, we're talking about potential. Potential. Both teams take care of business. Knock on wood, at least for us, a top three matchup, maybe a top two matchup. We'll see. I don't know. But those matchups are rare in the regular season, and to be able to get that, you, I mean, it was a done deal. Like this was going to be the CBS game, and, that, and that's just how it works. I know that we have been conditioned over time to think like primetime night games are like those are the biggest deals with the biggest games, but it's never been that way in the SEC as long as CBS has had this contract. I mean, it's always been 3.30. Now, I know at other conferences we've seen that way. We've, we've kind of seen it that way for years, but Fox kind of changed the game with their with their big new kickoff strategy. And ESPN's had a responding, a responding kind, and you've seen ESPN shift away. Like Usually the ESPN's first pick of SEC games, which they would get after the CBS 3.30 game, would always be on primetime ESPN 7 o'clock, 7.30. That's no longer necessarily the case. They are trying to match what Fox is doing with their big noon kickoff, and they're putting a lot of premium SEC games on at noon. I mean, go back to last year, guys. Our game against Arkansas, if I remember correctly, Charlie, was that a top 10 matchup at the time? I know game day was here. I'm pretty sure it was a top 10 matchup. I think so. I'm pretty sure if I remember that correctly. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm fairly certain it was. When was that game played, guys? That game was at noon. When college game day on campus. That wasn't a night game. ESPN could have put that on night, but they didn't. They put that on at noon. So you're just seeing a shift in how these TV networks are viewing the the windows in which they can play these games. And noon has become a more desirable window 
to broadcast games for these networks. It just has. I know that fans don't like it. A lot of fans don't like it because you want to have that long tailgate and party all day and, and have a good old time. And I get that, man. Like more power to you. That's awesome. That's a big part of what college football is about. But I mean, that's just not how the people who pay the bills view things anymore. I mean, you still get some good games on at night, but I mean, it's it's just not how it how it's been working recently. So I know that 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 sucks for a lot of people who want those night games. But the people who write the bills, they get the power, and then they are they are going to try to pick games that make them. They're going to put games on in windows that make them the most money, and that's just kind of how that works. Okay, um, Hannah asked the next question, which mm, we got to get down to this. She Emma. wants to know what your stance is on the Jermaine Burton scandal and Nick Saban's response. Well, first off, let me I'll ask you. I'll tell you, unacceptable. Has it arisen to the level of scandal yet? Well, whatever word you want to use. It's unacceptable. Explain. I'm going to let you take the From floor From my here. point of view, he clearly hit that girl. Oh, yeah. thousand percent made contact with her face. He was not scared. So, Nick Saban, don't come on TV and tell me that he's scared when he is way bigger than There's her. There's video of her trying to dodge him to get out of his way. And as she's getting out of his way, he reaches back around and smacks her in the face. Right. He didn't it's punch her, but he, he either, pu- at the very least, pushed her hard in the face or smacked her. The video's kind of blurry. It's a totally unacceptable way to handle it. He should not have been allowed to play. Um... And to say like that he's no scared discipline. is just That's rude. You're a 200-pound man. Yes. And this is a petite little Alabama fan. Now, should, should, should she have been on the field? No. But that does not give you the right. She was not threatening you. That that woman, he was lashing out, Charlie. Absolutely. He saw somebody, he was lashing out. Absolutely. And now he's trying to go, now he's trying to play the game. He's trying to play the victim. Oh, I was scared. Give me a freaking break. You weren't scared. I mean, Jesus Christ. And for You're Nick scared Saban, of the small girl as opposed to the hundreds of other people yeah. that are larger no, than No, he you. can hit her and then you know, she's not going to fight. She's size. not going to fight back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I have a problem with that. And for Nick Saban, he, based, he literally came out and said, he was asked about it, oh, he was scared. What? That That's your rationale? Like, Jesus Christ, Nick Saban. And what kind of... Because, you know, Charlie, if Bama loses, you know, people are going to rush the field. What precedent is he setting for Alabama players? Can any Bama player now... Just do they have just carte blanche to hit whoever they want, do what they want, and just say, "Oh, I'm scared." In the future, if that happens again, well, don't rush the field. Now, I will say, don't playing. don't rush the field. Number one. Yep. I I have a problem with you rushing the field. That's technically breaking the law. Technically, it's trespassing. You're costing your team money. I get like people want to celebrate, but I mean, it is like you don't. It, it's just setting up a situation like what happened, right? It is setting that situation up. So don't rush the field. She was wrong rushing the field, but she was certainly was not law. But that is not mean that she should have been hit in the face and there's no repercussions whatsoever. Like, what are you teaching these players? Nick Saban likes to always say, all these coaches like to talk about how they, they're all about, it's not so much about winning games, it's about developing young men. Really, Nick? Really? Is it about developing young men? You should allow this to happen? Oh, you made him run a few sprints after practice? That's what we're going to teach him to not hit a girl? Like, really? I mean, come on, man. No, I'm with you, Charlie. I think unacceptable. Um, I was honestly, maybe I should have been surprised. I, I didn't see that one coming. I thought that Saban would st- step up here and be like, you know, like something's got to happen here. You can't, because he's got daughters, Charlie. Like you, I mean, I always fall back on that. If you got daughters, like, how would you feel if that was your daughter that was smacked in the face I by guess Jermaine Burton? Jermaine Burton can smack his daughter and it won't matter either. Maybe I'm misreading Saban. Maybe it is all about winning for Saban. It's totally unacceptable. Yeah, I agree. I'm I think he, and yeah, I think, I hope that Miss Terry got mad at him I, and that he I, I, understands I think, why that is wrong now. But I would like not. to think that, but I mean, I don't know, Charlie. I was just taken aback by the fact there was no suspension there. I really was. I don't. I don't. I think that sets a bad standard. I don't like it. Don't like it. All right. So enough of that one. I don't want to talk about it anymore. That's just not fun to talk about. Bad last, topic. Last question. We'll end on a fun one. Well, it's not really fun. It's kind of depressing. Fun. Garrett wants to know what happened to Never Graduate. Oh, I was waiting on this question. Um, I was hoping it could, it could just kind of like die on the vine. Yeah, and, I wouldn't show and I, it. Wouldn't ask. Well, him. no, I wouldn't. I was hoping that you know people just kind of like, oh, you know, it wasn't around that long. We'll just forget about it. And I, you know, I hate to let people down. Yeah, it's a great question, Gary, and I really appreciate the question. I appreciate your support of that show and um, you asking it and wishing it was still around. I really, really, really do appreciate that. I worked very, very hard on never graduate, and that was part of the problem. I have this um, inability to not do my best at something. So I don't want to, I mean, just for lack of a better term here, I don't want to half-ass things. Um, I try to give you guys the best that I possibly can. And I'm not saying it's the best that there is out there, but it's the best I can give you. And um, I do, and you guys know, like I, I, this is not a full-time job for me. This is something I do um, because I love it and I'm passionate about it. And I mean, it is a passion project for me. 
but I do have a full-time job and I, I do have things like, and I got family and I've got things going on and I've got to take care of all that. And I thought when I was given the opportunity to do the Never Graduate, the National College Football Podcast, I thought I could make it work. I thought during the season, during the summer, I had more time, um, you know, different things going on. The work's not quite as um, intense during that time of the year. So I had a little more time to do it. And I, I had a plan I thought would work in the fall, being able to do um, the Glory UGA stuff and Never Graduate. But it just became overwhelming and too much. And if I was to do both of them, I would kind of be doing um, a halfway job at both of them. And I that's not what I'm about. I I want, again, when I, when I do something, I want to do the absolute best that I can at it. You know, whether that's good enough, I don't know, but I give my best shot. And um, I felt that if I kept doing Never Graduate, I was not going to be giving you guys that have been longtime loyal listeners of this podcast um, what you guys deserve, to be honest with you. And I said when I started Never Graduate that, this show wasn't going anywhere because this is my number one priority when it comes to pocket outside of like my job and my family, right? I've got like, this was never going to go away because this is what I'm passionate about. This is what I love. I love the University of Georgia and I um, was not going to let never graduate get in the way of that. And I felt like it was going to, and it was about to. So that's why I backed off that. Um, I'm not going to, I'm never going to say never that I will never bring it back, but just right now, um, just too much going on, man. It really was time. It was just time. I didn't have enough time to do the kind of job that I wanted to do that I could be proud of. And I didn't have enough time to do the kind of job that I thought you guys deserved, to be honest with you. So if I wasn't able to do that, then I just didn't want to do it at all. And I wanted to put my full focus and all my energies into Glory UGA and go full force with this, this season. Again, like I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm never going to bring back Never Graduate, but it's on... Um, at least a temporary hiatus for now until things kind of slow down with my life and things going on at work. But again, I do really appreciate Garrett. And for those of you also out there that listened and, and were wondering what happened to it and why I didn't say anything is I just didn't have the heart to say it, to be honest. It made me sad because I was really, really, really having a heck of a time doing it. And I don't want it to like officially be done. Um, I have, it's open for me. It's kind of open-ended with our, with our uh, producers for me to pick that back up if um, time permits. So hopefully, you know, Someday I can pick that back up. I don't know. No promises. But um, again, Glory UJ is my priority and I wasn't let anything uh, get in the way of that. So that's what happened there. But that, all of you who listened and appreciate that or in, enjoyed it, I thank you guys. I appreciate you um, supporting it. I really do. And um, hopefully maybe one day we can get it back. But all right, Charlie, is that it? That's it for today. All right, guys. Thank you for being here. Always appreciate that, guys. It is hate week. Hate your heart out. Hate to your heart's content this week guys because that's what this week is all about i'll be back with you guys in a couple of days here to preview the world's largest outdoor cocktail party an in-depth preview for you guys and charlie will be back with me to wrap things up at the end of the week with our picks of the week and charlie i know i don't know do you have your notebook with you right now I do not. You don't have it. So I, I feel like it was pretty good, though. I feel like I, I know I, think, I did well. I think you were. I, I think I'd, ha- I'd had a pretty good week. I think we bounced back again. I, I think we bounced so. back again. So we'll, we'll review all that, and we'll talk about that on the Pixel of the Week at the end of the week, so make sure to check back in. But thank you guys for being here. We love you. Appreciate you. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>